On today's show, the votes are counted and we have a new town council. We'll recap the results from the recent Penhold election. We'll look at the issue of compelled speech after an Alberta judge has ordered three men to express a court-appointed disclaimer whenever they speak out against government health orders. Zuckerberg wants to take you into the metaverse. And finally, we'll reveal the secret movie subscription right here in Penhold. This is Penhold Talk Radio. And welcome to the show. My name is Brian Constantine. I am here with my co-host, Michael Rowland. Hello, hello. So Penhold has just wrapped up its election, and we have come up with a new town council that looks very familiar. Uh, winning this year, we have Teresa Cunningham, the newcomer to the to the council. We have Ken Denson, Sean Ham, Sean Cranenberg, uh, Tyrone Mueller, and Michael Walsh. What's your thoughts on, on the, the new town council? Well, like you said, it's rather familiar. We're same council except for Sherilyn Sanchez was not returning, so Teresa Cunningham takes her position, and same mayor so they all worked well together before i'm assuming the addition of um teresa won't be a big upset to the dynamic and hopefully they'll work together again yeah uh the the election uh camp or the campaigning went smoothly uh there weren't any (laughs) there weren't any any big uh issues uh that were uh, contentious along on the way. No, certainly Uh, no contradictions in their approach to anything no they they seem to be very much on the same page uh, looking at the the results, we there is a total of two or seven hundred twenty-three total voters uh, that came through uh, the the polls on um, on Monday. Um, out of that, the top vote getter was was uh, Sean Cranenberg. He received five hundred and fifteen votes. So as a percentage, he was on he was chosen by seventy-one percent of all voters. That is impressive. That's that's a pretty big number, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to to be on the ballot of nearly uh, three and four. That's 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 a pretty confident vote there uh, from from for Cranenberg. Uh, from there, uh, we see Ham, we see uh, Ham pick up uh, four hundred seventy-seven, followed by. Uh, Teresa Cunningham coming in third, Mike Walsh. Then things get a little tight on the fifth, sixth, and seventh. We have Ken Denson coming in. And then uh, Tyrone Mueller picking up the sixth seat on council by only nine votes over Julia King. Every vote really counts. (laughs) Yes, especially in these municipal elections. Uh, We we often complain about you know uh, the insignificance of our vote in the in the federal uh ridings or federal elections uh being you know one vote in 33 million but here at least this go around you know you are one vote in in just 723 and so there is only nine votes difference that's only nine people and it's not a lot when you're looking at 723 people yep uh so yeah every vote every vote counts um especially especially at this local level uh now just kind of a comment on on the actual voting process uh again penhold uh uses an electronic uh voting system where you kind of go in and select uh, your 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 uh, candidates by selecting their the buttons beside them uh and for the most part i i like it uh they they put the pictures beside at least the town councilors which makes it easy yeah simplifies um, it a little yeah the the senate election though which i think 
probably a lot of people were were unfamiliar with i'm guessing um but if you didn't know who you were voting for going in there's just so many names to pick from uh, i don't know how you make a selection yeah it's going such into it. such a huge list and such an unfamiliar campaign you don't hear much from them you don't know much about it i don't recall seeing anything until i went searching for it so it's a big list of names and i imagine a lot of people were overwhelmed by that yeah that's that's the thing the 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 the, the senate vote is just it does not get the the attention. You don't see the candidates coming around. So unless you're you're um, intentionally going out to to research these uh, candidates, you're just not you're not gonna uh, see their names pop up anywhere. And so um, <laughs> I guess the, having their faces wouldn't make any difference either. In the, in Probably setting, not. No. Nope. Um, the I guess the one critique I have is is the way that the referendum questions were laid out. Uh, and so at the at the ballot box, all it had was a title equalization and then another title for daylight savings. And then you had three choices under each of those uh, for against and abstain. N um, now, if you had no idea what the referendum questions were, you might have a little trouble. Yeah. And they're not posted right there. Now, uh, apparently they were up on the, the boards <laughs> around the voting booth. But if you're looking down at your voting board, all you see is equalization for, against, or abstain. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to know exactly what you're voting for in that case. Yeah, and and, and you know, I've 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 looked into both of these these referendum questions. And I still had to pause yeah. before I selected uh, my choice because these were referen referendum questions. Mm -hmm phrased as yes or no and so i knew what i wanted to select and so when i looked at the board uh, looking for my yes or my no and didn't <laughs> yeah. see it uh, i had to pause and and fortunately they they, they did have I, I took a peek around the kind of panels that were around the the, the ballot box and and they did have the questions posted uh, which i was grateful for because it allowed me just to kind of, kind of confirm what my vote was was uh to to be and uh, and so having for and against threw me off at least a little bit. Those those I'm expecting for like propositional questions or propositional statements. Yes. Um, not not uh, questions. You know, if you, if you ask me, do you want a chocolate bar? I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to say for. Um, yes. Though, though maybe I will, but that's going to be a numerical answer, <laughs> not not a, a, a permanent firming answer. There you go. Yeah. It's a little bit of a grammatical disconnect there on that answer given the question. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I had to pause just to, just to confirm that, but that's, that's the only issue. I, at least I had, everything else was laid out very smoothly. Uh, I was in and out in, in, in five minutes and there's no issues whatsoever. Yep. Um, and I got to walk away with a nice town of penhole pen, uh, <laughs> instead of the little cheap golf pen or golf pencil that I'm sure a lot of people probably got. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> uh, as far as the actual results of the referendum voting goes, um, those won't be made official, at least from the time of this recording, uh, for a few days. Uh, but early results uh, uh, seem to suggest that the equalization vote is likely to go through. It looks like it's going to be affirmed that, that most people, uh, or at least the majority of people, want the equalization clause removed from the Canadian Constitution. 
At least that's the at least that's how the referendum question was framed. Yes. How that actually plays out in practicality, it looks more like it's just a political lever that can now be used by by the provincial government. Yeah, it's a show of support from the province. It's not likely that Alberta has enough sway to actually pull that out of the constitution, mm-hmm. but at least it shows that Alberta wants something done. Yeah. Yeah. So if nothing else, hopefully that, that gets the, the, the federal government's attention, uh, which is kind of, I think, the goal that, that at least Kenny had when, when this referendum question was proposed. And so the, the early results I've seen from that one range about 55 to 60% in favor of, of, of doing away with equalization. The second one, though, the question on do we want to switch to permanent daylight savings time that one is is just a dead toss up. Uh, the only results I've seen there are something like fifty fifty or fifty one forty nine splits. This one we're gonna have to wait for. And that one I find surprising. I know there were polls months or even years ago about this that fell into the ninety percent range in favor of mm, dropping wow. the time change and sticking with daylight saving. Um, but then leading up to this, I saw a lot of articles talking about all the downsides, all the problems with daylight saving time and doing that year round. And I feel like that probably swayed a lot of voters. Yeah, hopefully I, I, you know, I, I, it certainly is certainly more, uh, more consequential than just doing away with a couple time changes yeah. each year, which I think a lot of people just, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's how far they've, they've thought about it, but yeah, it, it, it has much much more consequential um, results from from that from that uh, from that vote or what what might be uh, a time change. I think it's it'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out in the end. Yeah, um, man, can you imagine fifty one percent of people went with daylight and that would force everyone, anyways, <laughs> uh, everyone to change your clocks. Yeah, might need a little higher percentage on a <laughs> yeah, referendum question like that. Yeah, that's. Anyways, on to uh, just to so to wrap up. Well, thank you to all the candidates that, that ran in, in uh, the Penhold election. It's not easy putting yourself out into uh, the public eye. Um, I think we have a little bit of an understanding of that um, starting this podcast. Uh, and here, just a final thought on this. Um, even the, the lowest vote getter still received or was still selected by 30% of the voters. So one in three voters um, chose... Um, uh, or chose the the lowest vote getter um, from from the uh, from the election. Now compare consider this that the liberals who run Canada now the liberal the liberal party runs Canada and they only receive or they receive less than thirty three percent of the popular vote. So I'm not sure if that's comforting or not. Um, uh, but I just I wanted to throw out the comparison there that even the lowest person uh, in 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 our votes got about the same as the ruling party in Canada did in, in the federal vote. So take solace or, or commiserate with that. I don't know. Uh, and also just a, just a final note, I want to send out an open invitation to, to the new or to the mayor, uh, the incumbent mayor and, and uh, the new town council. If any of the councillors or the mayor wants to come onto the show, they are more than welcome anytime. Uh, I think it would be great to get to know them a little bit more, get to know their views and where they intend to uh, lead uh, the, the, the town over the next four years. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great to have them on and get to know them a little bit better. Now elsewhere in Alberta, uh, punishment was handed out to three outspoken critics, uh, and violators of, of, uh, the government's, uh, COVID restrictions. 
Now, they, they got the punishment for violating court orders that you would probably expect, things like probation, uh, things like fines and, and significant fines. They got five-figure fines. Um, They're giving um, 120 hours of community service. But it's another element of their, of their punishment that I think is worth talking about. And it has to do with them having to um, provide a, a court-ordered disclaimer for whenever they talk against government health orders here in Alberta. And that's what we know is compelled speech. <laughs> so um, just kind of give a little background to this case. And you're probably familiar with, with some elements of it. This, this, this is the case of, of Arthur Pulowski and Christopher Scott. Um, Arthur Pulowski is, is an immigrant from Poland, and he pastors a church in Calgary. And he really became and made international headlines back in April uh, when he uh, refused um, uh, and basically kicked out AHS inspectors and police from entering his his church to do a, an inspection, a uh, health-related uh, inspection. And then later in May, uh, perhaps you've seen videos of, of him being arrested on, on a Calgary overpass, I believe it was, um, uh, after holding a, a church service slash political rally, um, as the courts would, would uh, define it, in violation of AHS restrictions, and particularly uh, in violation of a court order uh, against him. And then in May as well, Chris Scott, he's, he was the owner, or he is the owner of Whistle Stop Cafe up in Muir. And again, this is probably something you're, you've seen in media. Uh, he was certainly prominent in, on social media. Uh, for his opposition um, to AHS restrictions that that really restricted his his uh, business, his restaurant, and in May he held uh, uh, what was considered an illegal protest or illegal um, rally at his restaurant, and so he was arrested in May. He spent three days in jail and then and then was released. And so in June, the the, the courts found them all guilty of, of violating court orders, and just recently uh, the courts handed down the punishment for these in, in, uh, infractions. Now, um, on the other side of them in court was Alberta Health Services, and they, they had uh, petitioned the court to uh, give them uh, um, both Arthur Pulowski, his brother, um, David Pulowski, and Christopher Scott, uh, 21 days of jail time. And, and the judge in this case, Justice Adam Germain, uh, he agreed that, that, this, that this was a reasonable uh, request but he also thought that the Pulowskis in particular um, really wanted to go to jail, um, that this could kind of increase their, their martyr status. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and if you read, his, uh, read the, the judge's, um, the judge's ruling, uh, he really takes notice of, of Arthur Pulowski's desire for public notoriety, or at least this is, this is again, the judge's assessment of him. He's actually he's, he's, he's saying that this, this that Arthur Pulowski wants this public notoriety, and you know it's 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 probably not an unreasonable assessment, but it's interesting that that comes into a court case here. But and so in in in, in handing out these sanctions, these punishments, again they were given uh, probation, five figure fines, and community service. But the court, the judge here, also requires them to to state the following. So whenever whenever they speak. Um, out against uh, HS health orders or government uh, restrictions related to COVID, wherever they speak about this, whether it's in person or online, the the court has has requires them to also say this. 
I am also aware that the views I am expressing to you on this occasion may not be the views held by the majority of medical experts in Alberta. While I may disagree with them, I'm obliged to inform you that the majority of medical experts favoring social distancing, mask wearing, and, and, and avoiding large crowds to avoid, uh, to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Most medical experts also support participation in a vaccination program unless for valid religious or medical reasons, you cannot be vaccinated. Vaccinations have been shown to statistically save lives and to reduce the severity of COVID-19 symptoms. So this is this is this is part of the punishment that each that all three of these guys have to do. So anytime they want to speak out against government now uh, related to to COVID restrictions, they have to include that phrase as well. We're taking what's been in the digital world for a while and trying to bring it into real life. This is like the the disclaimers that Facebook or YouTube will tack onto an article or tack onto a video warning people that this may may contain information contrary to public health experts. Mm -hmm. And so now we're just forcing people to say that in real life. It's certainly it certainly should be um, concerning, I think, to to all, all Albertans, all Canadians, that uh, especially when we look at the Constitution, uh, we have a freedom of expression, freedom of speech here. Not to let's just say it's not as robust as in the states, but nonetheless, there is a freedom of, freedom of expression outlined in the Constitution, and a number of of editorials and 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 constitutional lawyers have, have brought up some concern over this element of the punishment. And so here, I think I, I, I'm not, our point here is not to, to, um, um, evaluate the, uh, the, the position of, of the Plowskis or Scott here. We just want to look at this idea that the, that the court is actually requiring someone to speak a message that they, uh, or that at least goes against what they believe. Um, it's interesting that that the, at, uh, in, in the court, in, in uh, the right, and in, in Judge Germain's uh, sentencing, he writes this, that the final term of this probation order will be that when he is exercising his right of free speech. And so right there, the, the court already recognizes this free speech. And yet, ironically... He, the, the judge now is also going to say, okay, you can say whatever you want about the government, but you have to pre present the other case as well. Or at least you have to provide this disclaimer that there's a lot of people that are against your position. Yeah. That seems to go against kind of the element of free speech. It means I get to say what I want to say, even if you don't like it. Yeah, it's not just being allowed to say what you want to say. It's the freedom to not say what you don't want to say. I think that that's a key part. If you're going to have freedom of speech, I think there's a necessity for freedom to not speak. Mm -hmm. So saying that somebody can say whatever they want, as long as you also say whatever I want, doesn't seem to really <laughs> line up with what I think we all would understand freedom of speech to be. Yeah, I, I think I think that, I think that's a, excellent. Yeah, it's 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 not like free speech is like you can say whatever you want, but you also must say whatever I want you to say, which is kind of what's going on here with with the judge's uh, punishment. So as we look at the court case uh, and his uh, the judge's reasoning, uh, 
this the the goal of this punishment, and this is probably true of most punishment, is that it has a, a at least a deterring effect. It's, it's supposed to deter the individual from doing this same uh, crime again. In this case, uh, contempt or having contempt for a court order. Uh, but it's also, and, and the judge writes this, that it's also, quote, to send a message to those who could be likewise engaged. So here, the punishment is, is both to deter the individual, but also to send a message to, to the broader public um, that, if you, um, that if you violate court orders, this is what's going to happen to you. And, and, and somehow this this element, this part, this is part of the punishment, and so this is should be part of the deterrent. So let's let's look at this. Um, I think the first point here is that this punishment of compelled or the, the, of requiring this kind of compelled compelled speech is not actually related to the crime. So in this case, the the defendants were guilty, found guilty of breaching a court order, and so what what happened is that um, that both Scott and and the Pulowskis had, if you will, created enough of a scene that AHS went out and got a, a court order uh, that is there is then uh, enforceable by the police. Um, it be essentially becomes a criminal matter at that point. Yeah. And so it, it, it gives the uh, AHS orders a little bit more weight and significance. And so uh, having issued these court orders to Scott and the Pulowskis, they went ahead and disobeyed them anyways. And so... Uh, their 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 crime was disobedience of this court order. But what this punishment of, of this compelled speech does is it actually doesn't punish that crime. It actually punishes them for something that they have the freedom to do, which is to criticize government health restrictions. Yeah, so you're punishing what you're claiming they have the freedom to do. They have the freedom of speech, and then you're punishing that freedom of speech, not the violation of the court order. Yeah, so there's, there's there's a difference between kind of creating a rally or, or inviting people to a rally in violations of a court order versus simply speaking out against a court order or speaking out against health orders. Yeah. Um, and so this this required punishment would seem to to um, compel or it would seem to to be punishment punishment for even speaking out against it. It's not it's not merely Vi or physically violating or physically violating these health orders. But now every time you speak out against any health orders, you don't have to, you don't have to be in violation of them, but whenever you speak out against them, you have to put this disclaimer in saying, well, the, the government disagrees with what I'm saying, or, or, or that there's a lot of health experts that disagree with me when I say this. Yeah. Um, and so it would seem to, uh, this punishment would seem to, to for, or, to move, um, try to be moving people towards not just physical compliance with health orders, but also uh, that one must voice support for the government health orders and, and actually believe that these are good health orders, where the, nothing like that is required in our Constitution. The other element here is that this con uh, compelled speech um, component is not a deterrent. Already, um, Pulowski has gone on interviews and saying he's he's there's no way he's going to follow this. And how can this hardly be a surprise if, yeah. if, if you know anything about this guy? Um, he's 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 uh, he's not the one who's going to bow down um, 
to to court orders like this, especially when they seem to uh, enforce what they already believe. They, the Pulaski's and people who are kind of side with him, they already think the government is overreaching. Yeah, they're not going to view this any less than a serious government overreach. Yeah, so this is this just this just fuels their their narrative uh, that they already have that the government is already overreaching that the government has no right to to say you know how churches should be gathering. Um, uh, it'll already fuel this this idea that the government is untrustworthy, um, even though it must be recognized that the courts are meant to be an independent element in our in in our um, uh, society. Um, in, in, in the government scheme, They're, they are kind of an independent uh, element. Nonetheless, um, this just, uh, the, this kind of follows in with what I think they'll just, this judge will, this judgment will just be kind of be grouped in with what they already think about government as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, there's just no way that this is going to be a deterrent. Um, this is again, just reinforces what these people have already believed that the government has, has gone beyond where it should be. Um, like uh, if, if the government, if this judge was, was, was looking for deterrence, you know, these people were fined $20,000 given 18 months probation and 120 hours of community service. Like that's with the threat. And, and there, there is the threat of, of jail time. Even if, if, yes. if, if that is more of a deterrent, like jail time is still an option on, on the on the table, but I think the judge's desire to avoid creating a martyr out of him, primarily the Pulowski brothers, by doing this instead of jail time, I think may have backfired. I think if anything, those who are in support of the Pulowskis and Chris Scott as well, they're going to view this as even more government overreach, even worse than having sent them to jail. It's an attempt to compel speech. It's an attempt to control them and their cause. And I don't think, I think it's going to backfire on the judge's goal of avoiding martyrdom. I, I, I can, if, 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 if they were just punished with fines, probation and community service, where do they go then? Like those are, those are just the typical things you expect. Yeah. That's exactly what you'd expect out of somebody violating a court order or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And so you, but by throwing this extra element on there, it just, it just, it's just such easy, just easy fodder. It just, it's just, it's so easy for, for, for the Pulowskis to particularly Arthur. He's, he's the, he's the, he's the spokesman. He's the, he's yeah. the most outspoken one. It's just, it's, it's just so it's just easy fuel to his argument um, of, of a government that's that's going beyond where it should be. Uh, and so, it, yeah, it just seems like a big misstep uh, by the judge on this on this issue. Now, to kind of broaden out the conversation beyond just this case, um, this why would the government or why would this judge even feel, you know, like he has liberty to compel this kind of speech like that, that should be a question on the table too. Um, not only is this, is this element of punishment, this, this requirement to say something against your own position. Um, why would he, um, why would he even start thinking about that? Um, and I think it's just, it's, it's hard not to notice how much comp compelled speech is already in the public realm today. Yeah, we see it in 
not from a government level, but we see it in the social media. We see it the way people interact. You, Like I said earlier, we've got Facebook and YouTube tacking on disclaimers when anything disagrees. We've got people getting removed or um, shut down on Twitter. We have people, because of what they say, they're canceled. We like mm-hmm. to use that term lately. Um, and you're basically forced into the approved talking points on a lot of issues. So we, we see that all over the, all over the internet. Now we're starting to see it from a a government level in this judge doling it out as something that they're compelled to say verbally, Mm -hmm. not just online. Yeah. It's this, a lot of governments claim to be kind of this, you know, uphold the, this freedom of speech, um, right. Uh, and yet there's a lot of big organizations and arguably organizations as powerful as any government, yeah. um, that, that have already taken up this mantle of, 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 of language police as it were. Um, we've, uh, YouTube has a, will will take down anything that they deem to be um, you know vaccine misinformation or COVID misinformation. Uh, recently, they've even they've gone to um, removing uh, climate change mm. denial videos. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you if you if you if you speak on the wrong side there, um, they'll they'll censor you for you. Um, look at just try to say the wrong thing on Twitter, and, yeah. and you'll quickly see where the language boundaries are and because of that we see that extend into people's lives outside of twitter the number of people who have lost jobs because of something they've said on twitter because of the the way the public has censored and controlled that environment it's starting to extend into the rest of society yeah yeah it's in, in stuff that that you might have even said or typed out you know 10 years ago yeah and and look how much look how far society has gone in in the realm of police or police or policing speech and, and there's obviously and so there's there's things that you, you know, that um there are things that if you will the good citizen would not say now yeah that that he might feel more comfortable uh, 10 years ago. Now, again, who gets to, is who gets to make those, those rules though? Who gets to decide what is appropriate speech or, or, or what, what kind of speeches is, is counselable? And, and here, this is where kind of the un, um, the unseen hand of social media is, is probably the biggest hand, but the, the, the unseen hand of, of social media uh, and, and, and media giants and, and even uh, mainstream media end up doing this censorship. And, and you know, for some, in many cases, it's intentional. But in, in other cases, I, it, it's perhaps unintentional. And what I mean by that is whenever you hear a story about a guy losing a jo- his job for, for speaking uh, or for holding a certain position or, or uh, announcing he holds a certain position. Um, are you, are you more likely to, to, to hide that fact or to speak out against it? Yeah. So we're now censoring ourselves because of what we're seeing other people going through. 
we watch somebody lose their job because they said that they disagree with some commonly held belief now. And if we disagree as well, we're afraid to say anything because we don't want to be in that same position. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you don't actually have to legislate, um, you know, censored speech. You just show enough examples uh, to people of, of what they are not allowed to say. Yeah. And, and, and you learn what a good citizen is allowed to say uh, in public. And so it ends up creating this kind of self-censored society mm -hmm. um, with the um, self-appointed Twitter mob or, or um, Facebook CEOs and, and YouTube um, algorithms declaring what is good speech and what is not, what is, what is um, uh, compelled or what, what you are supposed to be saying and what you're not. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this is probably where, so, so it shouldn't be a surprise. We, we, I think, we, I think, I don't think we're stating anything that's surprising to people. No, no. Perhaps what is, is we need to be conscious of is that now courts perhaps feeling the liberty to act in very similar ways to Twitter mobs. Yeah, that's a direction we wouldn't expect the legal system to go. Now, let me try to tie that into our, our next story. Uh, Facebook plans to hire over the next five years 10,000 Europeans um, to develop what Zuckerberg calls the metaverse. Uh, and now I'm sure uh, you can be excused for, for not understanding what the metaverse is. Uh, this is fairly new, at least uh, or new to me as well. Picture Zoom on steroids. Uh, and if that is not terrifying enough, here, here basically what the, the metaverse, the goal of the metaverse is to create a virtual 3D world. And so instead of, say, having your business meeting um, in front of your computer and webcam, instead you would put on 3D uh, glasses like an Oculus um, set and you enter into a 3D world, uh, a 3D um business room or, 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 or living room, whatever, whatever world you want. And you in your, in your virtual avatar state can now sit down in the virtual world and have a meeting. Um, that is what the metaverse is. Or, or you know, you, instead of um, talking to some or to your friend um, uh, over, over Skype, over, over FaceTime, you would put on your 3d goggles and you would each have, you, you'd meet each other in the virtual world in whatever avatar I guess you chose. That's what the metaverse is. And so this is what um, Zuckerberg is, is trying to develop and, and these uh, this um, 10,000 Europeans. This is just, uh, I'm sure, a small portion of, of, uh, of developers that are going to be required to, to kind of bring this uh, next, um, next brainchild of, of Zuckerberg's to life. Now, here's the question, though. Consider what we just talked about social media and its role in, 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 in kind of how we think about how we uh, talk, what we feel allowed to say. Do you think that moving into um, further into this virtual space, if we, if we just made social media uh, a virtual 3D world, does this really do you think that this would make humanity civilization? 
you know, move it in a, into a, a better direction. Do you really think that's going to be the case? Given the direction the world has gone since social media came into came into existence, I don't anticipate good things from this. Um, Facebook, I don't think they have malicious intent, but I think that there's a lot of harm to be done by trying to trying to take over that aspect of our of our world. Like that's basically trying to say like you can now, if this goes the direction I think they plan for it to go, you can now do your meetings. You can meet people. You can spend time with people. You can, you can live your life in their virtual world. Mm -hmm. That's going to have a huge impact on the way people think and the way people interact. And I don't think it's going to be positive. I think you can look at so many different uh, stats about uh, what's happened over the last 18 to 20 months with COVID and, um, and, and um, how much people have missed um, the physical interactions with people uh, um, that there is something that, zoom calls just cannot replace no we saw huge issues with what they started referring to as zoom fatigue where it doesn't take much time in these virtual meetings to be really mentally and even physically draining mm. and i don't think that turning it into a 3d virtual world is going to make it any better yeah and yeah you talk about zoom fatigue and, and then uh when you when you look at how people already behave in the virtual world that we have, yeah, um, it's 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 it certainly not a proof of concept <laughs> that that encourages me that that uh, making thing in making the the virtual world the, the social media world basically into a three D space is yeah. going to make anything better. Yeah. Now, I guess I got to admit that there's an irony to me making statements like this on a podcast that's being broadcast on social media and, 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 you know, being recorded. I'm sure you're probably listening or watching this on, on some sort of social network. Um, but it's something that we, I think we need to be, be careful with. It's, 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 uh, it's a classic, uh, human development question. Uh, even if we can, the question is, should we? Yeah. <laughs> question that often seems to be missed. Yeah, and and uh, when yeah when we look at look at the direction that that social media has gone, um, and and how how really detrimental the the loss of physical interaction has been over the over these last uh, number of months with COVID, this this is um, this is uh, not encouraging. Let's put it that way. I I I, I, I envision. I envision a world like Wally or something like that. Yeah. Um, where we were just sitting around focused on the screens in front of us. You know, we might, we that's, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Like you, you can already, I can already easily picture two people sitting on a couch together, both with their 3d glasses on in their virtual, in the virtual world. world. Yeah. And using a little bit more of a modern example, it makes me think of something like ready player one. You've mm -hmm. got an environment where the world is terrible so people need to go to the virtual world to escape yeah and mm -hmm. by doing it outside of not just video games but doing it on a level of what facebook is talking about with the metaverse 
it's no longer to escape. You go play a video game for a short amount of time. It becomes to escape the world. You go to a different world. Yeah. And I don't see how that's healthy. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, there's already so many means of escape, uh, that's, that it's that issues aren't dealt with properly. Mm -hmm. Relationships aren't developed a health, a healthy manner. Um, already, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, myself included though, I, I really uh, I'm resistant to it. Uh, like we, I don't know about you, but we've already, you know, you can probably think about times when you've texted someone who's in the same house as you perhaps. <laughs> yeah. This is just taking that to the next level. Um, and yeah, I think we need to be concerned, uh, about what kind of civilization, what kind of community this would push us towards. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it's not necessarily, I'm not saying this is, you know, an absolute evil or, or an intrinsic evil to go this way, but it points us in a direction that we need to be aware of and the dangers that would lie down that road if we travel down too far. Yeah. I don't, like I said before, I don't think that they're, they're malicious in their intent. I don't think Facebook is some evil overlord trying to create this, but I think that you need to look beyond just the, the marvel of the technology and think about what the impact is going to be. And I think that companies like Facebook are doing these things on such a huge scale. We can't, we can't just look at, they need to make money. There's, it goes a little beyond that. They have such a huge impact that every, every move they make impacts the large majority of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, with that, with that said, you know, as, as, as we develop this podcast and, and this kind of, uh, hopefully a community around it, um, as, and as restrictions release, um, our, our goal, our desire would have some, have some physical, um, meeting, um, uh, where we can kind of discuss some of these ideas and, 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 it, and the, the conversations that we have in person are just so different than, than the conversations we might have on Facebook comment posts. Um, and, and being able to see a person, being able to, to, to evaluate how they're, how they are doing, how they are receiving your, receiving your comments. Yep. Um, and, and, and so hopefully, you know, we, we will be able to do that, uh, in, in, in the not too distant future. Now, finally, let's, uh, want to wrap up on this. Uh, we kind of teased it at the beginning and I think this fits into kind of this an overall theme of, of kind of this episode has been just kind of what kind of community um, are we are we moving towards? What kind of community are we developing? Are we, are we going to be one where, you know, compelled speech is, is going to be um, dictated from courts and, and kind of governed by Twitter mobs and social media? Or are we actually going to interact with one another, even if we disagree with one, with one another? Um, and so in that kind of um, sense of community of, of doing things in real life um, here uh, and, and here, I, I just want to point out that uh, there is an incredible service uh, in Penhold uh, that is actually cheaper than, than, than Netflix oh, and Prime. One of the um, cheapest you'll ever find. That's right. Uh, and, it, and it just occurred to me um, this last week, uh, I got to share with you. There is a secret source for, for especially classics, but even new releases 
uh, of movies in, in Penhold. And it's the library. People don't think about that. I always forget that they have movies. You think library, you think books. Yep. They have a lot more resources than that. And yeah, the movie selection and the fact that you can order them from other libraries in the region. So that just broadens the selection that much more. So uh, on some some of our podcast episodes, we will we'll, we'll be talking about uh, movies and stories. Um, and and so one thing that I really like or have recently come to, to enjoy is, is finding some of these classic movies. And it's classic movies that you're just not going to find on Netflix or, or Amazon. Um, and yet when I, when, so I'm talking about like movies from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, you know, Charlie Chaplin, um, you know, Lawrence Olivier. Um, if you haven't watched Lawrence of Arabia, that's a great one. Real impacts on film and what we know today. Yeah. Uh, and so if, if, if you, if you are looking for, and even like I said, even new releases, um, they 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 bring in ones that you're surprised. Like, um, um, if you haven't seen it already, um, perhaps they'll be. If you get it before me, then then, or you better get it before I do. Let's put it this way: uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, I haven't seen that really? yet. They have that up there, uh, so a fairly new one there. Uh, but uh, and so yeah, I, I and I guess full disclaimer: um, I do the communications coordinating for for library. This. This was not on my own radar. This 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 service, at least how broad it was, and so yeah, I do I I do kind of the advertising and graphics work for it for for the library, but uh, this was like I said, kind of a new new idea, just a kind of a a new awareness to the service that we have here in in Penhold to actually go out in real life, just be nostalgic for a little bit. Remember <laughs> the time when you go. To, to to blockbuster or something like oh. that for the older older ones i don't know how many hours i spent going up and down the aisle yeah yeah <laughs> you spend more time picking your movie than watching it but that yeah. was part of the experience That's right and you got a little more exercise than you do flipping through the netflix yeah. scroll you know yeah. it's not just your thumb that's right uh and so yeah i i encourage you go out there um take a look at what they have in stock here in penhold at the library and if they don't i bet you um that they will they have it somewhere in the parkland regional library system like i said i was looking up um uh, uh the 1931 version of frankenstein with boris <laughs> oh, Karloff. Wow. yeah so so I, i'm, I'm kind of going through uh afi's top 100 movies um and you can, you can look it up uh, look up afi uh, top movies and, and they'll give you a list of like the top 100 classic movies um yeah, and, and and Frankenstein is on is one of them, and I just throw this out as an example. And lo and behold, it's out there. I can't remember what library it is. You know, Didsbury seems to have a pretty good library <laughs> as far as movies go. Um, but it's there. You can just look on it. You can go to 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 the the Penhold Library site, search for this movie, and put a request in, and it'll show up at the library. No cost. There's no yep. shipping cost. It's just it's just there. You pay your annual library fee, which is pretty minimal was and it like 15 bucks yeah for, for, for a family. family it's 15 dollars a year and you get access to a huge selection of movies books and more there's and then the services the library puts on yeah. like, we're talking about community and <laughs> this is a good source of community yeah uh, yeah and if, if if anyone has met myra you know she's she is uh she is all about community uh, and if you've talked to her for any more than five minutes you know that 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 she is 
extremely passionate about getting yes. people together. Yes. Um, and perhaps uh, this uh, your next weekend, the movie you watch. Uh, how about not pick something from Netflix? Try to find something at the library and throw that into the old Blu-ray or DVD machine. Um, and, and find a, a community or a, a movie that you can enjoy together that way. So I think that, that wraps us up with this show. Thank you again for joining us. As always, leave a comment uh, uh, below where on whatever platform you uh, are watching us on or listening to it. We uh, enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy hearing back from you. Uh, we are on Facebook. You can also find us at uh, penholdtalkradio.ca. Uh, and so thank you for, for, uh, for joining us uh, on this episode. My name is Brian Constein. I'm Michael Rowland. And this has been Penhold Talk Radio.